Pull up in motorcades. I got a show today. It's all I'm tryna do. Hustle and motivate. Choppers are throw away. Hustle the overway. That's why they follow me, huh? They think I know the way. Cause I took control of things. Hey, how's it going, Champagne Sharks? Hope everyone's doing well. Just wanted to uh, do some quick house cleaning, let people know. Go to ChampagneSharks.com and you get access to all the links related to Champagne Sharks. So instead of asking us where the YouTube is located, where the Patreon is located, where the merchandise is located, you can go there and find it all. And you can find where we are on social media, our products, all that stuff. Also, in addition to the existing Patreon benefits, which includes Discord server, book club night, movie night discussions, show notes, newsletter, and most importantly, bonus episodes, we're also giving people invites to the new voice social media networking club clubhouse so right now it's closed off it's in beta testing and you have to be an iphone member but if you join patreon and through patreon join the discord you will be able to get uh, clubhouse invites and the reason why we want people to get those clubhouse invites is because we're doing a lot of stuff with the creators and the podcast fans and you need to get invited to take part of that including a new weekly creator and fans show that we've started over there where you get to interact with us and with each other so definitely become a patron for five dollars a month at patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks and without further ado here is the episode take care back in this bitch like i never left stand for some shit that you never read passing through stages and life through the ups and the downs like a saw just another test Live by the booze like a fucking breath. I got respect in a hundred sets. Too many chains need another chest. Glad no games if it wasn't chess. What up? You're listening to Champagne Sharks. I am Vita Star, and on this episode of Champagne Sharks, we will be speaking with Mark May and Devin Terry, who are co-executive directors and co-founders of Forward Progress, a youth organization dedicated to the empowerment and growth of youth worldwide. They constructively execute and bring to fruition the mission statement of Forward Progress, which is to make a positive impact on youth today by teaching and implementing life skills, team skills, and building personal confidence. Mark May grew up in Compton, California and has seen many of his peers get involved in gangs and the street life. It was his support system that helped him realize that the fast route wasn't the way to go. Mark attended public schools in the Compton Unified School District from kindergarten to 12th grade and graduated from California State University Dominguez Hills, earning his bachelor's degree in kinesiology. He continued his education at Mount St. Mary's College and received a master's degree in education along with California teaching credentials. Mark now works in Watts, California, where he serves as the assistant principal athletic director, and master physical education teacher at a local school. He also serves as the coach for all of the school's athletic teams. His co-founder, Devin Terry, grew up in South Los Angeles, California, and like his business partner, he saw many of his peers succumb to gang involvement, violence, and drugs. He too fell victim to the lifestyle, but with consistent support from his mother, he was able to break the relationship he had with the street. 
athletes. Devin was also involved in sports and after-school programs and often encouraged to participate in summer programs. Without truly noticing, involvement in these activities allowed Devin to interact with positive role models that he would later emulate. Devin attended and graduated from California State University, Dominguez Hills with a Bachelor of Arts in Sociology and a minor in Humanities in 2006. If you would like more information about Forward Progress and ways to support, make sure you check out their website. It's the number four, wrdprogress.org. That's the number four, wrdprogress.org. So stick with us as we discuss both life and career experiences and how they shaped their uniquely compassionate and encouraging approach to working with youth in sports. Welcome back to Champagne Sharks. Again, I'm Vita Starr here with T, and we are interviewing Devin Terry and Mark May. Um, welcome, guys. Thanks for having me. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. So you guys are co-founders of Forward Progress, and this youth organization is something that seems to be really important to you guys. And I'm really curious to know what made you create this program and what inspired you to feel like this was what our communities needed. Um, well, it, it really all started from uh, a lunch uh, me and me and Mark were having one day. Um, he's uh, assistant principal at his school and I'm a juvenile probation officer. And what happened, what really sparked this was um, it was a child that we both knew that was in his school and beginning is getting into some trouble. And he ended up at my uh, juvenile camp. Um, so that really, you know, did something to us. It kind of opened our eyes a little bit. And, you know, we came to the table and we're like, you know, what can we do? What are the kids missing? And, you know, we figured programs. And from that conversation, you know, we pushed forward with forward progress. And, you know, here we are three years later. Right. And just to add on to that, too, just, you know, like he said, it started over a lunch, you know, but but me and me and Devin uh, both growing up in the inner city, you know, both both being challenged, I think, with many obstacles at a young age that that lunch conversation was a little bit more in detail in regards to what was it that kept me and you, Devin, like straight? You know what I mean? What was it that kept me and you on that straight and narrow that kept us on that right path, you know, to not end up in those, uh, I guess, different situations um, that most young people end up in? And we both realized that, you know, um, having a support system or having having that, that village that we talk about, you know, really played a big part in our lives. So we wanted to be that for the next group of young people. And at that point, we really didn't know what that meant or how we were going to do that but we knew that it was a it was something that we both I think were passionate about um which gave us the idea which gave us the capacity to think um of you know, developing the idea of beginning forward progress which is now our, our youth foundation what I find interesting though is that you know especially Devin as a probation officer you're in the position of executing punishment right but your approach when you guys sat down and thought, thought about the, the youth that you were working with, it's a totally different approach. It's not about punitive, about being punitive and, and punishing them. It's how do we help heal them? How did you guys decide like this was the better approach? Can I, can I go, Devin? I, I yeah, think go ahead, because I, I think because growing up in the inner city, growing up in, in this world today with everything that's going on, punishment was something that we were all just way too used to. Our kids were our kids normalized punishment yes. and bad things and, and all this stuff you know so so we we realized right then and there that 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 wasn't going to make any changes and um i'm really big on positive reinforcement i'm really big on, on positive feedback and the impact that that positive feedback have has on the individual and and seeing that and, and knowing how i responded knowing how Devin responds um to positive feedback 
was something that that helped shape our decision in regards to not going that route of punishment and always just coming down on young people and stuff like that, you know? So, yeah, I'm um, not. No. no um, so when you spoke to, you know, me being on the other side of essentially the law, you know, issuing punishment, what I've, what I've realized is that probation officer for 13 years, um, seeing kids as young as 12 coming in and out, you know, my thought process during that time was, well, if I was able to get to them before they made these mistakes, before they had these lifelong traumas, where would they be at now? And for me, being on that end, seeing these kids come in and out, um, watching, again, we're talking about punishment, seeing them be punished for their behavior, which often was just reflection of their, their family dynamic and their environment, and them being too young to really, you know, understand why they're acting like that and why this has happened to them. So for me, being there, I saw that, you know what, I think the real power came from prevention program, not punishment. So that's how I saw it. And that's what that's where my mind transitioned. And we came to the program. See, I think that's really dope because sometimes what happens is I worked in social services for a long time and I had to work sometimes with probation officers. Um, I have to work with, um, you know, public defenders. And a lot of times people in those positions believe in doubling down on the punishment. Like, like, the kid didn't, you know, follow whatever the rule was. Therefore, we must now double down and make them suffer more. And so what you're saying is you actually saw like, wait, this is not um, a behavior that just came out of thin air. There's something behind this. And if we can get to the children or get to the youth before they're having, and I don't even like to call them um, bad behaviors. A lot of times they're what I call trauma responses. And we don't realize that's what we're looking at. So we just label it bad behavior. And what you're saying is you wanted to get to them before because you saw that there was a connection between having um, protective, healthy relationships with the adults around you and being able to come out of those, you know, not have to be fall victim to um, whatever's going on around them in their environment. And I like something that you said uh, too, Mark, you said that, you know, the youth are used to punishment. And that's 100% true. Every time I worked with youth, that was exactly how I felt. They kept getting more and more punishment, but behaviors weren't changing. So clearly punishment wasn't the answer. A lot, I don't know if, so Devin and I actually went to high school together. I actually found him on Facebook. He doesn't remember me, but funny enough. Um, <laughs> and I found him on Facebook and I, and I saw that you guys had this organization. And I don't know if Devin remembers this, but at our high school, it was pretty, it was pretty heavily policed. You were constantly yelled at by the staff. Get in line. Be quiet. What are you doing? Why do you go off? I mean, all day they had security. They had police. They had deans with walkie talkies. I mean, it was insane every day. And I remember when they started putting in the spiked gates and they even put one inside of the science building. It felt like prison. It literally felt like prison. Was there a history of anyone actually climbing the gates? It seems like a really weirdly specific thing to uh, do that someone at some point climbed them. I mean, I'm sure you've climbed gates all the time. It, you weren't supposed, they didn't want us to leave. Yeah, that's what I mean, like climbing gates to leave. Yeah, well, what was happening was they actually, what happened was they, they had wire cutters and they cut through the chain link fence. And so people were just leaving for lunch. <laughs> are just leaving. So it's another, another form of control though, right? You know, Absolutely. Like, and, and, and when we when we practice those type of behaviors, you know, a controlling type behavior or controlling this or, you know, people typically don't respond well to that, no matter how, how old you are. We, we, owe, we owe it to our young people, I think. It was something that you said, um, Vita, that was just really, I think that that resonated. You know, you said we, and I think that's what we like to do as an organization with our young people is like, we like to address the trauma. 
You know, when, when you look at these behaviors that, that young people, that older people, that anyone displays for that matter, it, it didn't just come out of nowhere. Right. You know, it's like this this behavior is, is rooted from somewhere. So getting to the root of the problem um, will help you build that relationship with whoever that individual it is. So when we look at our young people and we no one's perfect, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes all the time. But if I encounter a young person who's just not having his best day for whatever that is, um, yelling at them and fussing at them, like I, I never try to come at somebody like that, because for one, I don't want nobody to talk to me that way. And I know how Absolutely. it feels for somebody to talk to me that way. And we, we, we preach this all the time as adults, you know, um, you know, the golden rule, treat, respect people. If you want to respect, just, you know, treat people how you want to be treated and all that stuff. But some way, somehow it seems to go out the window when we're dealing with our young people. We can yell at them. We can talk to them any kind of way because they're younger. They need to respond to me. But these young people now are. They, 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 they're not feeling that. I wasn't feeling that. I'm not feeling nobody yelling at me. They're not putting up with your shit. No. I'm not, that's, I'm not that's feeling what I that. Call it. You know, so you know, it goes both ways. It goes both exactly. ways. Exactly. So when we're talking about young people, young people catch on to that quick. If, if I'm not being respected, then whatever you're saying to me isn't valuable. Yeah, you don't respect me. You don't respect me. So how can I even think that what you're saying is for my best interest if you don't even respect me, right? And you can and you tell that by the way that I'm talking to somebody, by the way that they're talking to people. So I think one thing that Devin and I, and, and along with all our other coaches and everyone from our organization, is what we try to um, you know really position ourselves around is getting to the root of the problem. If someone's having a bad day, let's figure out where that's coming from and let's address address that and let's try to fix that. And then now that I know that, now I know why you're acting this way. Now I know why this is going on. Now I know why. So if I deal with that, dealing with what's going on right now is going to be easy because I just address to you what somebody else hasn't never addressed before. We just ignore it, ignore it, ignore it. You know, so that that's my that's my take on um I think that's dope. I think that's super dope. And I think that's you're saying something that's really important, which is highlighting that you have to find out what happened to the youth as opposed to what's wrong with the youth. Yes. Right. Yes. yes. So and that's the I'm sorry. No, I was just saying yes. Three. That, that's the approach it sounds like you're taking. You took it from what's wrong with you to what happened to you. I, I also love the way you phrase it. Your phrasing is very specific. And I did notice that <laughs> you say you, you never say if the child's behaving badly. You say if the child's having a bad day, meaning that they're having a bad experience. And a lot of times adults who work with youth don't have that perspective. Why do you believe you were able to and both of you were able to really take on that perspective as opposed to some people who work with youth and they come out even more like, no, these these kids are just bad and just terrible. I want Devin, I want Devin to, to answer this in, in the terms of this, Dev, because I think this um the answer that I know you can provide based on, you know, our experience is perfect for this. And and, and what I want you what I, what I'm saying is how why are we able to do that? I want you to share about that focus group, Devin, that you did in the juvenile halls and how I'm able to and how you did that same focus group um, outside with the kids outside of jail. And I think that should really give a give an idea on why we feel this is the approach. OK, so um, and he's, he's speaking to my focus group. It was I did for like two months. So interviewed about 20 kids within the halls and 20 without. And one of my one of the questions that I would ask is, you know, what do you need? in order to thrive and, and, and be more specific is what would you want adults to give you? What do you need to be the best you? And literally the overwhelming response, whether it be the 20 in the halls or 20 outside was love and respect from, from kids who've been beaten to kids are just spoiled with their parents. They all want attention. They want you to pay attention to them. They want to feel important. And that comes with listening. Listen, that's all they are. That's the only thing they want. 
listen and be respect. And what that told me was that we we are doing, excuse my friends, but a shit job with listening to our young people. Because they will tell you, but you have to lay out, you have to ask and you have to be open. So again, 40 kids, different backgrounds, um, again, different family dynamics, and they all had the same answer. That's first of all, that's a really powerful question to even allow youth to answer because no one gives youth that space. A lot of times adults have assumptions about youth. They have assumptions about why they did something. Oh, they did that just to get on my nerves. Oh, they did that to get my attention. Yes, they wanted to get your attention. First of all, all of us want attention. It's literally a neurological, biological need. You have to have attention or you will go crazy. That's why when you go to solitary, you lose your mind. (laughs) You need attention. And you definitely need attention from your primary caregiver if you're a child. And sometimes I think, like, so I teach a class called Trauma-Informed Nonviolent Parenting. And a lot of what you're talking about is what I try to teach parents. Listen. Because this is what they'll always come to my classes. First of all, they they always think they're going to come to the class and get tips and tricks to get their kids to do what they want them to do. That's what that's what they think a parenting class is. Mm-hmm. When, it's really, not, when it's really the opposite of that, right? One hundred percent. Everything I teach is about you. Absolutely. Everything I teach is about the parent, right? And they don't even realize that most of what how they're parenting comes from how they were parented. Sometimes it's doing the exact same thing. Sometimes it's doing the extreme opposite. Like you don't yell, but you ignore your child. <laughs> you know, stuff like that, right? So a lot of times what parents would say, they would come to my class and say, well, how do I get my kid to listen to me? My kid doesn't listen to me. Every time I try to tell them something, they don't want to listen. So my question to them is always, how much time do you spend listening to them? Every time I ask that question, they stand there. Or they'll tell me this. I told them they can talk to me, but you just spent, I don't know how many years dismissing their feelings and telling them that they didn't matter and didn't even realize that's what you were communicating. Why would they open up now? And I think what you said right now too, Vita, is so important, mm -hmm. especially from the parent perspective, right? Because some parents or just, you know, people in, in, in general think that they're doing the right things. And I think the comment that you said or, or the phrase that you used was the parents said, I told them they can come talk to me. Right. But how many kids are just going to volunteer and just say, hey, I need to talk to you about something real quick, mom. You know what I mean? Like, I, need, I need to like we, we have to put them in that environment to make them for one feel comfortable, you know, talking about whatever it is, the issue that's that's going on. But but also just making them feel making you know, making them feel like they can trust you. You know, it's the relationship, you know, and then they'll start coming to talk. But don't just expect because I said you can come talk to me that the kid is going <laughs> yeah. to come talk to you. It, you got to go sit right. that kid down. It, it, no, you, go ahead, you, you, you really speak on something, Mark. I, I love how you said that. It's, you got to make me feel comfortable. And I think sometimes as adults, we lose, we forget that we were once 15, 16. And how did we feel? Did we feel comfortable walking to a adult and saying, hey, I'm hurt. Can you please help me? No, we, we internalized it. We kept it within and we, we handled it the best way we could. And I think if, if you can if you can dial back and just think about how you felt, some of us could just go back and say how we felt and what helped us get through. What did we yearn for when we were sad? I think if you can really look back and just take time and, and figure that out, most of us make better decisions with our young people. We cannot forget where we came from because we all have the answer. A lot of us just act like we're older now. We're older now and all of a sudden now it doesn't matter. Right? So... I was thinking you're talking about empathy. Say that again. So you're talking about empathy, yes. being able to empathize. Yes, with you. yes, yes. Which is huge. Which is. But huge. I'm curious about what would you th- say is the hardest thing to get past as far as reaching people? Where if you can get past, say, one thing, you have the most chance of of reaching a kid. Like like the the toughest thing to deal with in terms of determining 
easy or difficult it will be to um, reach through to that vulnerable part of a child? I'll tell you what I think it is. Um, I think it's relationships. Um, I think it's building relationships with these young people. I'll give you my experience. I, I grew up without a father. I never know. I never knew my father. I, I empathize with young people who who don't have fathers or who have people that are in and out of their lives. You know, like that are here today and gone tomorrow, or are broken promises, or you know, just um, we're going to do this, but it doesn't happen. You know what I mean? Like just just this level of emptiness. So when I sit down with a young person, I think the main thing that I'm trying to ask myself and trying to make sure that I don't do is tell them something that I can't grant them, tell them something that I can't provide. Because because for we're, 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 we're the, the trauma, right, we, that you talked about, like all these things that are that have been happening, you know, to us as a, as a culture, as a community, just just in, that's happening in society. It, it all goes back to our young people and what they're dealing with. So so when I'm sitting there and, I'm, and I have a young man who or a young woman who who's going through whatever they're going through and, and I step in to try to be that that mediator, for lack of a better word. Right. Um, the first thing that I'm thinking to myself is how do I make this young person feel comfortable with me first, but how can I build off this relationship and what am I going to say that I'm going to provide for them and how am I going to make that happen? Like, I don't want to be giving false promises to these kids because that's what they've had enough of. They have that all their lives, you know, where people are going to tell them they're going to do this, going to do that, and it doesn't happen. So if I come in as one of those same people with that same approach, then that young person is not listening to me because I'm pretty much just the same as anybody else that came through these doors for them before. So when I have that on my mind and I'm thinking about that, the first time I'm, I, 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 I play chess with this, you know, I'm not I'm not I'm already thinking of ways where I'm thinking of our of our third meeting with each other in our first meeting, because I'm thinking of ways to plant seeds for that meeting. You know what I mean? Because I, I want that young person to be able to trust me. So like I'm, I'm always like thinking that way, you know, so it's relationships to me, T, because I think once you build a, you know, a, a, a good relationship with anybody. I think you start to loosen up a little bit and you can start to see that that person is here for you. Trust comes in. Um, you know, you, you start to feel that that person cares about me genuinely. I what would you say is the main way uh, to build relationships that you find the most the most effective? Like if you had to start with something um, with your average kid, what do you find is the best way? Like is it shared hobbies? Is it? Yeah. What do they like? They like? Got it. What do they like? like? Because it's about them and I want them to know it's about them. You know, I, I have a young man right now and I won't say any names or anything like that, but, you know, he's been going through a lot. And, and most of the times on the calls or, or when I'm with this person, I'm asking him about what do you like? What's, what's on your mind? What, because I have to make him feel or I have to let him know that he's important. What he's thinking is, 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 is good, you know. So just just allowing them to speak, allowing them to own that moment. Because they look at us as adults, we're supposed to know everything, you know, but when I turn it back on them and empower them, they're looking at me like, well, but you're supposed to know everything already, though, coach. Like, how you, they, they feel good about it. So, yeah. We'll you know, that. there's something that you said um, where I, it's, I feel like you you are breaking down how to build that relationship. And you said some really key things. You The key thing you're saying is you have to build trust. That's how you build a relationship. You have to feel be a space where the youth feels safe enough to talk to you. And safety isn't just physical, emotional as well, right? Will I be judged? Will they put me down? You know, like youth would come, you know, they will could, youth would sometimes think, okay, I want to tell someone, you know, about this bad experience that I had. But if I say something, I'll get in trouble. Right. I was just and, about and to say And then they that. won't share what <laughs> happened. Will I get in trouble? Um, <laughs> right. So, because, so that's why it's important to build that trust, which what we don't want is for us to not be able to help the youth and then they be basically just learn how to hide things better 
And that's usually what happens when we go to the punitive route, right? They just try their best to hide it better versus getting the help and support that they need. So that building trust is huge. The other thing you talked about was building trust, but through follow through. So listening, but following through on what you say you're going to do. And that's another key thing, especially when you're working with kids who've experienced a lot of trauma. A lot of times it's exactly that adults in their lives that constantly let them down said they were going to do something they weren't going to, that they never followed through on. And sometimes you, if, especially if they're youth in the system and they have caseworkers and social workers, there's a huge turnover rate. They have a caseworker they actually like, they're they gone next week, right? So they don't, they don't know who to trust. Everybody's in and out of their lives. So if you can be someone that's consistent and constantly following through, that's how you're building that trusting relationship. Devin, how, did, how do you feel like, how do you feel you've been able to approach the challenges to building relationship with youth? Um, I, I'm pretty much going to second what uh, Mark was saying. Um, for me, what's worked so well with kids in my, you know, within alls is that it's follow through. It's just trust. These kids have been lied to and beat their whole lives. So it's, some, it's something as small as, you know, bringing the kid a snack when he did well. I mean, that, that makes sound very minute to us, but that makes him feel appreciated so much. And for me, it's just, again, it's relating and it's just following through. I mean, me personally, just full disclosure, like I started gay banging at 15. So I understand how these kids view adults, these kids from this, this type of background. I understand the, that when they find someone that they trust, how open you become, whether that person is trying to do something positive for you or manipulate, manipulate you in a negative aspect, right? Um, so just again, through just my 13 years, is, it's, it's been trust. It's been be relating to the child, listening. And once that happens, they feel they can open up to you. They begin to tell you, you know, they begin that they begin to ask for help. And that's ultimately what you want them to do. Be comfortable enough with you to ask for help. Ooh, that's exactly that's exactly what I believe. One hundred percent. You know, what? I'm glad you share part of your story, because I think that's the other thing is sometimes as adults, we forget to be relatable. Adults who've been through things, who've grown past a certain thing. You know, it's important that we still point out like, yo, I'm not oblivious to this. You know, I've experienced a lot of this and that being able to be relatable and, un- and be able to be um, someone who understands is important. Because I'll tell you, when I was younger, I, I was in some really fucked up situations, like really dangerous situations. But I was being abused at home. My father I was being raised by a single dad. And he was physically abusive. And so I would be more afraid of going home than the shit that was happening to me in the streets. And think about the kind of shit that happens to teenage girls in South Central running the streets with their friends. And I wasn't, and I wasn't, a, I wasn't like a quote unquote, like, you know, one of the kids I was running the streets like that. I was like a school girl, I was a little church girl, but that's made me pray. That made me pray for a lot of these predators out here, but I was more afraid of my father. You shouldn't be afraid of the adults in your life when you need help. I could never feel like I could call an adult in my life and say, Hey, come pick me up. I don't feel safe. Cause the first thing I'm going to say is what were you doing over there in the first place? How could you do that? Are you stupid? Now I'm, I should lock you out the house. You know, stupid stuff like that. That's what I was afraid of. So I'll just sit here quiet. We don't think about that with youth. And then we, we talked about earlier about youth opening up, you know, parents telling their children, oh, you just talk to me anytime. But we don't think about the fact that why, we don't ask ourselves, why didn't they think to come to me in the first place? I can't tell you how many stories I've heard from parents telling me I didn't know my child was getting bullied every single day at school. The child never told them. And, there's, and a lot of times you have kids who are being punished for behaviors and what we're doing is we're trying to hide the symptom of the problem. How many times have we punished kids who've been molested 
but they're sitting in this classroom. We're mad because they can't sit there and read this test. We're mad because they're running around and they got molested two days before. You didn't know that because you focused on punishing and hurting and making them suffer. And I think that's that's huge that you that you say that. Um, and thank thank you for for sharing, you know, being vulnerable and just sharing, you know, because it, it helps us. I think collectively, all of us on this call to kind of continue to understand why it is we do what we do. Right. You know what I mean? Like, like because we get it. You know, we get it. One, one thing about Devin and I, that I think um, me and Devin are close. I, I tell Devin all the time and I, I trust you with my Social Security number, dude. Like you can you good with me. Right. Um, but we but we we get it. We, we we understand. We've been down that road. But together, collectively, as we as we build this foundation, it's like we understand what it feels like or what it means to be. 15, 14, 13, 12, 11, 10, 9, whatever, you know, we understand that. And the fact that we understand that helps us relate to these young people more and help us deal with it and, and not be so upset, you know, for, for things that they're doing, but instead trying to get to the problem and, and figure out how we can help them. You just share something right now, Vita, that brings back a moment with a young person that I was dealing with. And it was in school, you know, and, and this, this particular individual, he was just not like going back again. Like I say, he was not having a good day. I got called to the classroom for a kid who was being rude to the teacher. He was being defiant is the word, you know? So like when I hear those, when I get those calls, cause I'm, I run the discipline department at my school. Like, so when I get those calls, like I'm already thinking on my way, like who's the kid I'm already developing, like, you know, how are we going to deal with this situation? So I went out and I put out the kid and some teachers in the beginning didn't like how I dealt with situations because I never just came in there just automatically assuming or automatically saying the kid was wrong. Like, I want to know what happened. And sometimes they feel like I should just take their side mm-hmm. and just immediately whatever they say happened. But I'm like, no, this is a human being that we're dealing with. Let, let me talk to him. Let me talk to her. One student in particular, I found out that, you know, they lived in the project. Well, I knew that. But they had just witnessed a drive-by shooting the night before. They had just mm-hmm. seen someone get shot in front of them. Right. But but this kid is supposed to come to school and get do good on his spelling test. This kid is supposed to come to school and just be all participating in class. And he's supposed to be, you know. But this kid is traumatized by what he just saw the night before. Absolutely. And had someone just figured that out, you probably would understand his reason for why he's acting the way he's acting right now. Right? But we yeah, so quick to just class. so quick to just even been sitting in that class in the first place. Probably shouldn't even been in that class in the first place. But see, and I get it, teachers' plates are full and you know, sometimes they don't have the time to address every single kid, which is why which is why we're here and why why I love it. But it's not an excuse. You know, it's just not a reason to just at least say, hey. How was your day yesterday? Maybe there's something, a reason what's triggering why you're, why you're not yourself today. And I think if we do that, if we spend that time doing that, we'll, uns- we'll discover a whole lot more and we'll, our approach would be completely different with, with, I, with I, everyone. But this is the, but this is the thing. It, th- that approach exists in other neighborhoods and other schools. That approach exists when, in neighborhoods where they're not experiencing drive-bys. That, that, approach, it, it, that approach is realistic for people who don't have to worry about putting food on the table, right? That's realistic for people who aren't living in poverty, for people who, you know, are, aren't experiencing the same traumas. So what role even does the environment play in what we're seeing with, like you talked about the, the young child who saw the drive-by shooting. That in itself, that tells us a lot about where they're at, the places that they go. Well, it's the so mentality. Exists, but not for not for those kids. Yeah, it's the men- it's the mentality. I think the our, I think the mentality of all of us as as a society, as citizens, you know, it needs to change. That if if, if it's okay there, then it, it it's not okay here. It should you know it, it should be it should be the same all across the board. But then we go back to 
you know, society, like we ignore a lot of stuff in, in the hood. We ignore a lot of stuff when it comes down to our people, to our kids, you know, and, and, and we can, we blame society. Right. But, but we're guilty too. I think as adults sometimes, um, because we can change what society says if we just go out there and practice what we're doing. Um, but, but I don't think a lot of people know. Right. Like, so I teach trauma-informed compassionate classrooms as well. So I train teachers. And I will say this. Before I was teaching that, I thought teachers were horrible. I hated teachers with a passion. I fucking hated teachers. My teachers in my high school were trash. Um, I felt, did, I, I just, I thought school was one of the worst places ever. I hated school and I hated teachers. I thought they were, I thought, I guess because of my experience, I was compliant, but when I did have issues, they would try to like, I felt like the adults in my life or the adults in school would try to humiliate you or shame you. And I never got, I just never liked that. So I just never liked teachers. And then I started to have empathy for teachers when I started working with teachers, because this is the thing. A lot of times they even get the training, but the school itself is not conducive to them executing it. So, for example, I would teach uh, I would teach them, hey, you should develop a peace corner. No elementary schools, I would say, you know, develop a peace corner. So not not putting in a corner for punishment, but asking them if they want to go there to relax. And they have like, you know, sensory items and toys and things like things that they can blow in and things to help them breathe, all that kind of stuff. Right. And then the teachers would say, yeah, I would do that. But then they get upset if we don't call security an elementary school. That's nuts. Right. For a year old. Because it was a school on the east side of South Central. Oh. And that's how they feel. You need to treat children of this color. who are predominantly black and Latino. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. That's how they're treated. You think about the, you, the job then is to be, um, to police them. Mm-hmm. That's what it was like for me in high school. I felt policed. And I wasn't even one of the kids doing anything. And yeah. I felt policed. <laughs> I wasn't uh, even doing shit. <laughs> I went to, uh, well, my first high school that I went to, um, we, had, we had metal detectors. As soon as you walked on campus, there were cops, mm-hmm. and then the dean would make you walk walk in a line, and you have to go through the medical medical metal detector. That was me wow. just going to school. Yeah, that can. And we don't think we, we say it's for safety, but we don't think of the impact that has on the youth that are going to that school. That mm-hmm. yeah, I just I just I get really frustrated when I think about the fact that we have these schools and these systems that aren't supporting our youth the way that they should. Because like I said, I learned a lot of the stuff that I know now not from my community i had to go elsewhere and learn it and come to find out all they did was steal the stuff we created in the first place right <laughs> now they got us you know paying for meditation classes and yoga classes and whatnot right, right. should have been around for a hundred thousand years i also want to take this chance to introduce our co-host by the way uh mario who just popped into the room he's from california too he's from mario. LA. What's going on? How you doing, man? Good. Good, to, good to be here with you guys. Just listening and soaking up the conversation. It's, it's very interesting. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm seeing that we have a whole lot in common <laughs> with what's going on in the community and in some of these schools and things like that. So I'm just glad to hear that there are brothers such as yourselves and sisters like Vita out there working to make everything a little bit better. Yes, sir. Thank you, Mario. Thanks for having no us. No doubt. Just doing our part, man. We're just trying to do our part, you know. Uh, trying to change that stigma. Absolutely. That's all we can do. And, you know, it, it's um, one of the things that that led me to my approach in, in dealing with some of these issues. You know, I have three children of my own and, you know, I was raised a certain kind of way. Like you said, you I, one of you brothers mentioned that you had started gangbanging at a young age. It was the same thing with me. I started gangbanging when I was 13 years old. 
And, you know, the whole stereotype, you know, didn't have my father in the house. Moms was out running the streets the whole night. So growing up, I seen a whole lot, been through a whole lot, had a lot of trauma and things like that. And one of the things that made me decide to when I had children, I, I already had it planned out in my head like they're not going to have the same life that I had. I said every. So the way that I did it, it was funny. I said everything that I didn't like about my childhood, I'm just going to use as an example of what not to do <laughs> when, I, when, I, when I grow up, which is sad to say, you know what I'm saying? Because a lot of that included things that happened within my own household and stuff like that, man. So it's just interesting hearing everybody saying that, you know, in their own way, the same kind of thing. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> that we have to think that yeah. way, you know? Yeah, for sure. Because nobody was there to teach us, you yeah. know what I mean? So we kind of had to navigate these yeah. things ourselves. But um, yeah. I have, a, I have a question for you guys. What would you say is the most surprising thing uh, that occurred to you when you started actually undergoing this work as far as how you thought it would be or what you thought would work? And then in practice, um, you kind of realize, okay, this is not really what works or this is not really what I what I expected. I have to kind of do a little shift in my approach or what I expect to happen i could i could say for me personally and i hope i'm answering your question right for me i would say the most surprising thing was the openness that other groups of non-black people had about certain approaches to these things and the challenges that i had dealing with my own people about some of these things that was one of the the biggest surprises for me you know from some of the most uh adamant resistance I got dealing with the community was kind of like from, you know, a lot of my own folks, man. So I think that's kind of uh, one of the things that surprised me. I hope that's answering your question correctly, though. I don't know. If, oh, know. yeah. No, that's that's okay, perfect. Cool. I mean, I mean, that's the kind of thing I, I was asking about, like, uh, you know, um, that's perfect. So I, I'm just curious to know, do you guys ever talk to other um, adults in your life or other uh, people who work with youth and try to, you know, maybe help them or support them in trying to transition how they think yeah, about working day. with youth? Um, especially where I'm at. Um, you know, I try to lead by example. Like I, I do, you know, my toot my own horn, but I know I do my job very well. Um, so I always just try to lead by example. You know, the situation I may I may have to take someone's board. And if I say take someone's board, that means taking their responsibility. Um, and go, you know, engage with the kid and figure out what's going on and talk him down and just just figure out ways to really, you know, relate in hostile situation. And, you know, I always try to offer that to my coworkers because it works better. You know, when I first started probation, I thought I had to go in there, you know, head high, tough as nails, you know, tripping. But, you know, I learned quickly <laughs> that the mouthpiece. I, I'm laughing. I think that's how that's, everybody always goes in. First day, it's like that. Yeah, no, and then them no, kids no, humble no, you no, real that's quick. That's how you had to go. And, you know, you'll, you'll get resistance. But, you know, when we talk about punishment and, you know, things of that nature, like, you know, you, you, you get results that way. But it's not long lasting. Because if you look at it, love lasts longer than fear. Love will have somebody respect you and do what you, do what you need them to do without you laying a hand on them, without you raising your voice. So when you start showing these kids love, and that's one thing I took away, then I understood like, wow, okay, the control factor for manipulation could be used in a negative or positive way, but so I'm, I'm using the positive way. My, my, my manipulation grew stronger. I learned how to relate. I learned how to talk to them. And once I was able to start sharing that with other staff, they realized how easier the job became, how more compliant these children became because you were actually giving them love instead of trying to instill fear in them. So 
for me that's one takeaway and on top of that it sounds like you actually you prioritize the connection over the compliance the compliance is fine but the but the connection was first yes that's what it sounds yeah. like what I, I was did you guys sorry we're still talking no i was just going to um answer the, the question you know that was proposed as well just in regards to to other adults um so with our academy is it's starting to get some some attention i would say just from other programs around and just from other people um just because we we tend to take a different approach um we we, we tend to take the approach of trying to address the kids where they are, meet them where they are, right? Or, or address them in a space where um, it's going to be, um, I guess, impactful for them. So so one thing that I've, I've noticed is, or that I've started to do, and I know Devin as well, is we, we started to, I, I guess, consult with with other programs and, and talk to them about, this is how we're doing this. This The method that we're choosing to use to, to get the, result, the results we want from our kids, we're doing it this way. So we're teaching other adults, I guess, the the positive reinforcement, you know, the relationship building, you know, the the mental approach, you know, because we, we're going backwards, the backwards design. We're really trying to tap into this mental approach through an approach where kids are going to meet us halfway through sports. So um, being being able to do that and, and be successful at it, because obviously the kids are responding, the kids are, you know, talking to us about, you know, why, you know, they're, they're getting better. We're able to share that with other adults from other programs around to where it's like, hey, you don't have to always be so drill sergeant. You know, you don't always have to be that way. You know, you, you can do this and you're going to still get, like Devin said, the result, you can still get the result, but it's the long lasting result. You want the immediate result or you want the long lasting result? You want the long lasting result? Then it's the approach that we took. This is what gives us that, you know, so we, we've done that as well. Now, at some point when you started, did you believe in the drill sergeant approach and it was through trial and error that you kind of came to your present approach or were you never in line with that drill sergeant approach? So, so for me, just because the drill sergeant approach has been something that was so normalized to me as a kid from growing up playing football to growing up around the house to just, I'm going to be honest, just growing up being black, you know what I mean? We were always just yelled at or always just told to the drill sergeant to get up, to do this, to, to put some dirt on it, to do this. You know, we, we was always, the drill sergeant approach just kind of masked my feelings. Um, so for me personally, when I went to college and I, I went to undergrad and got my degree in um, kinesiology, I went to be a PE teacher. That's where I started at. I remember one teacher I had, he really was big on positive reinforcement and positive feedback. Now, at that point, I had no no clue that it was going to lead me to where I am today. But I really loved that about that class is that it was always about rewarding, always about rewarding. So I took that approach with my kids in PE class and I never had bad behavior at all for my years of teaching PE because I was always so positive. So when me and Devin started, you know, for progress, that was something that I had learned from there um, to kind of bring that to the table. And I was OK with I felt confident that this way was going to work. I was really confident. I'm still confident about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So for me, it was definitely um, that stance. So your approach. In the halls. And again, I just told you my transition of me learning what worked better. So I think that me and him, when it came to formulating the program, we had already went through our trials or trial and errors with the drill sergeant way. Right, so we understood what what needed to happen with our program. So yeah, I got yelled at all my life. I'm just being completely honest. I hated yeah, it. Like, likewise, <laughs> <laughs> I hated it. You you I wasn't mean, gonna reach me when you did that. Yell no, you yelled at me. You lost me already. So, <laughs> but I mean, that's pretty much how black kids are. Like mm-hmm. the, I, think, I feel like we're used yeah. to being yelled yeah. at. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but that was just another language. And even then, I I often talk about like the stress that our parents are under. Right. Trying to raise us, trying to, you know, on top of their own trauma and issues that they've had growing up. Right. And now they're trying to parent us. And then and, and 
and in environments that aren't necessarily the safest. Right. So I could. So under those circumstances, I now have more empathy for the adults around me that were yelling all the time. They really didn't know any other way to communicate and they were very frustrated. Um, so but I can do that now as an adult, have empathy for them while also breaking the cycle. Right. That's key. Break the Um, cycle. Vita, you said we've always been yelled at. But how many times can you can can we say so we've, we've all I think we all can agree on this call that we've all been yelled at. Right. A lot. Oh, absolutely. Can right. we say the same? Right. Can we say this? Can we say the same for we've all been praised a lot? We're pretty sure we've been praised here or there in our lives, right? But have we all been praised a lot? Have we all been positive reinforced for our actions a lot? That is, that's not the norm. No, it's never. It's just, if, it, even, even if it were the case, let's say it was 50-50, uh, the, the, the demonstration of the, the chastisement and the yelling is, is always much more... Uh, demonstrative and dramatic yes. than the praise yeah, yeah. is. You right. know what I'm saying? Right. So right. even right. if it was fifty even if it were fifty fifty in terms of uh distribution, it's definitely not fifty fifty in terms of execution. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Yes. The way it's oh, executed. Like I said. I love that. And and remembering that negative the things that are negative stick in yes, our minds the hardest. Right. So if we like it's like it's like how people say bad news, not bad news, but like um gossip that's not true even will just spread so fast, but good news doesn't spread right. nearly as fast. All. Right. It's because our our minds are pretty much connected and we store the negative. It's a way to keep us safe, right? So our brains say, you know, I have to every for every negative statement, it would take seven positive statements to counter to mm, counter mm, it. Mm. Right? Um we don't realize how much those negative um, statements end up outweighing all the positive. On top of that, again, like like you were saying, it was 50-50. Um, that, that creates a confusing relationship. It doesn't create a healthy relationship. In fact, it, it increases the amount of distrust that youth have or people have um, because I don't know what I'm going to get. I don't know if I'm going to get, am I going to get praised or am I going to get a Damn, smash in the awful. face? Yeah, right? sure. And then it creates what they call an anxious ambivalent attachment in particular around parenting. But I, I believe that's the case for a lot of us. You just, how do you trust people? How do you trust the spaces that you're around if you're not even sure if you're going to get praised Man, or, or that's punished? that's real talk. Because, I mean, if you keep it 100, that's the way they train animals. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's exactly how they train animals. <laughs> All right, Mario, I like that. <laughs> and we right? and we, believe, we bought into this idea of crime yeah. and punishment. That's how they... Tra- Go ahead, Vito. I'm we, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Oh, no. I mean, it's, it's fine. But I was going to say just... You know, we don't realize how much that perspective of crime and punishment is really just a Western white supremacist perspective. And we execute it thinking that's the way it's supposed to go. Oh, we need the negative reinforcement. And I'll be honest with you, even bribery is, is, is not good. There's a really great book and I always recommend it. It's called Punishment by Rewards. Even talking about how we use bribery and it doesn't instill any value. They don't understand why they're doing something. They just know I get this thing mm-hmm. if I do it because mm-hmm. it, makes me I mean, it actually reinforces their yeah. negative behavior. So I always ask parents, what do you, or I always ask parents and adults, I say, well, what do you want the child to do? And what do you want their reason for it to be? Because they're afraid of you? Because they're going to get something out of you? Or because there's actual value in what they're doing? So, you know, I think even using the bribery, using um, ways that, you know, try to, to manipulate behavior, even outside of connection and understanding and listening, to me can be, can be a bit problematic. And it creates confusing relationships. That doesn't mean if you give your, you know, you give kids a reward that they're going to, you know, it's the end of the world or anything like that. I'm definitely not saying that. Praise is important. But at the same time, how are we teaching on that? Which is why I think it's so dope, dope about what you guys are doing, especially in sports, because you're teaching more than just um, the reward of winning. It's the strategy to get there. It's the teamwork. 
It's the confidence you're building. Because even if you don't win, guess what? You've built so much confidence that your win is the fact that you just went out there and tried in the first place. Because a year ago, you wouldn't have got off the bench. Yeah, like, right? You win even when you don't see. See, to us, Vita, winning is not determined by the outcome of a score of a ball game. Like that's that's the way that we like to look at it. Like obviously, like you you, you determine win loss. If we go out there in the game and you get a hundred points, I get ninety nine. Everybody say I lost, right? So like, I, and I and I get it. You know, when you when you playing sports and you getting paid and all that's that's a whole different ball game. So I don't want to, I don't want to make sure I'm not crossing into that lane. I'm just talking about you sports growing up. You know. Um, winning is determined, you know, by the lesson that 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 individual or that experience that that individual has learned right. or, you know, how they're able to become better as a person. That's that's what you define winning as. I remember when I first started coaching, I first started coaching. I, I was coaching. I feel like I had the bad news, bears, whatever, that you know, my team, man. We, dude, like I couldn't get these kids to we playing football. I couldn't get them to do nothing. But but I was OK with that. Right. Because I didn't care if we went 0 and 12 for the whole season. I saw like 12 young men that I was going to get to change their life by the end of the season. You know, so so my goal shifted. I wasn't trying to go 12 and 0. I knew that wasn't that wasn't reality. But I can make this kid who didn't like this kid. I, I wanted to see them work together by the end of the year. This kid who, who, who couldn't step up because he had no confidence, I wanted to make him confident by the end of the season. And, and I highlighted those goals in the beginning to where the kids understood what the goals were too. So at the end of the game, when we got our butts blew out and they looking at me and like, coach, you're not mad? Like, I'm like, no, what am I supposed to be mad at? I, I didn't expect to go in there, you know, but, I, but what I did expect was this. These were our expectations that we hit this, we hit that, or we didn't hit that, you know what I mean? And so we had something to build off of. I remember our last game, we didn't win no game that first season, but our last game, um, we my kids start celebrating after a play as if the other team. You would you would have thought if you was in the stands, you would have thought we just won a championship. You would you would I swear you would have thought that <laughs> we were getting our butts hammered. Everybody was confused about why are they celebrating so much? They're getting their butts kicked. But I finally had two kids on the football team that my whole team knew about that did not like each other. I finally had one dude get this other kid back and say, "Follow me." For the block, and we got our first first down. We got our first first down Aww. because this kid finally blocked for this kid that he hated because they lived in different sides of the track. You know what I mean? Which which made them carry that over into something that they had no idea about. But this kid finally told this kid to come block for me. We got a first down that we had never gotten. My kids went crazy. Like that's winning. That's, that's winning though. You know what I'm saying? And I made sure that them kids know that we won. We celebrated big after that because I wanted them two dudes to be friends. I wanted them two to, to, you know what I mean? I wanted that to carry over Mm -hmm. into another relationship somewhere else or some, you know, with somebody else. That's what winning was for me. And that's what I try to instill now. Like it. See, that approach is so rare in sports. Oh, yeah, because you want to win. People are defined by their win-loss record. All coaches are. If you if you if you're not winning, you you trash as a coach, right? Yeah, and and and, and, and while we're on this theme of sports and, and talking about abuse and, and and everything that goes with that, what did you guys think of that clip that went viral a couple of weeks ago? Mm, yeah, where the guy you know, you know he smacked yeah. the kid upside the head and all that kind of thing. Like, what have I, um, I'm, I'm not gonna lie, I play sports most of my life, most of my you know my youth life and everything like that. I've seen some tense situations between kids and co- I've never seen that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Right, that, right, I, right, right, you right. Know, I've seen situations. Hell, I've almost got into a physical altercation with my coach. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But like, 
to take it to that level, especially with kids, I got to admit, I've never seen that. So that surprised the heck out of me. What, what, what Mar- do you guys thought? Mario, that, that was crazy, that was Mario. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so, so, so growing up playing Pop Warner football, man, my coaches smacked me on my helmet before, man. They didn't did all that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I didn't had all that. But but what that dude displayed was just a different level of yeah, frustration. That was a whole nother level. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that, that wasn't, that, that wasn't about, that was a different level of frustration. And then, um, I'm curious to see what's going on in that man's mind. Like what, 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 what led him to believe mm-hmm. that, that was okay. You know, in front of everybody <laughs> with cameras and phones out, you know, something else. We need, we need to tap into that brother and sit that brother down and say, Hey man, what's going on with you? Yeah, they, they, you know what I mean? Cause yeah. that, for you to think that that was just okay to do, there's gotta be something going on in your head. That's just, that's not right right now. <laughs> but that's what scares me that's what scares me you said there were cameras mm-hmm. out people all, all around and he still yeah. did it imagine he said what he does his little apology not apology apology he said he thought he had a relationship yeah. with yeah. the kid's parents to where he, he could yeah. do that I'm like bro yeah. what, what world yeah. do y'all live in you know even if uh, man so imagine so if I'm if I'm a parent there my question is mm-hmm. what the hell are you doing with mm-hmm. my kid when I'm not mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. if this is what you're doing in front mm-hmm. of me I mean, let's hope those questions are being uh, asked because you have a lot of the parents in them stands. I hope so. But a lot of times when it comes, I was going to say just a lot of times, though, one of my frustrations has been people side with the adult because they say, well, these kids, this is what those kids need. Mm -hmm. They need that tough. They need that. Yeah. 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 But what what Mario said, um, Mario said that it was was cool. He said um, the coach said he thought he had that relationship with the parents. Right. So. Think about this, y'all. If the coach said he thought he had that relationship with the parents and which meant which led him to believe that because of my relationship with the parents, it's okay to do that. Then I think we got to ask ourselves the question, too. What kind of relationship do those parents got with their kids, too, in regards to Mm. how much that they do X, Y and Z of that type of stuff? To where that coach felt like, oh, me and Devin, cool. That's my boy. That's his son. I can do that to his son too. Like, I, I, I think it's a bunch of levels of mm. of stuff that ain't right with this one, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because no, because if you notice, you know, I, nobody came to like no parent from the stands or, or nobody came to like put him in his place. That's what I that's was tripping on. I'm like, I, man, it don't look like that was his first time. Was, nah, I don't think it for, was. For, for him Does to see like, everybody like that, bro, he's he slapped them kids around and not get yeah. rushed, man. Not sure. Get, <laughs> nah, that ain't his but first it, time. But it goes to show you that's a culture around there. Wherever that's taking place at, that's a culture that they are, you know, a sub of that, but that, that's something that they are, mm-hmm. they're okay with. Nobody tripped. Do you guys ever see those videos that go viral? Um, and it's usually like a black male teacher and a black uh, male student and they get into like a physical altercation and then everybody's like, see, these kids are so bad. You know, whenever I read the comments of those videos, it's, they're always pretty disgusting. Um, do you guys ever see those videos? And what do you guys think when you see them? So I know what I think when I see them. But usually it's like a kid doesn't do something the adult wants them to do. They're, they just stand there or they ignore them, whatever it is. And then the teacher will get in their face. I, I, I got to understand snaps. that relation. Like, see, when these things happen, it's like this is a longstanding situation. I, I automatically believe that whatever, whatever happened in this moment has been brewing for months and months and months. And you would like to hope you would like to think that maybe something was addressed by either the principal, some type of counselor, something like that. Because, you know, the, these these math, these fights don't have to happen. Don't have a transition like that. But they only do because whatever's happening hasn't been addressed. For whatever reason, this child or this teacher is allowed to stay. They're allowed to stand around each other. Um, you know. Yeah. Go ahead, Marvin. 
Yeah, I yeah. think um, that's a good I think point. that's key. You know, um, whatever reason, there's been a breakdown in communication between the teacher, the student, the student's parents, and whoever the administration is. And this student has been allowed, like you said, to be to remain in close contact with this teacher, despite the fact that there's this level of of uh, frustration or whatever that's been Tension. building up between mm-hmm. these two. And then it kind of explodes. And so and I, I've seen that a lot. I've seen I've seen situations where you have a student that's, you know, a, a, a problem student, for lack of a better term. And the uh, the inherent bias that comes against that student by the teachers because they he has a reputation. Mm-hmm. Right. And the teachers won't let that go. And so even times where the kid isn't doing anything in particular, the teacher will get on him immediately, even over the smallest mm-hmm. thing. And then I've seen the student react after being chastised for seemingly doing nothing. You know what I'm saying? And that just, that that kind of thing, uh, it's preventable because, you know, communication and then perhaps even moving some things around could could have prevented something like that Absolutely. from happening. So, you know, it, in my opinion, it's always going to be the fault of the of the teacher, even though, you know, and I'm going I'm to keep it 100, some of these keep, man, <laughs> you know, I'm just keeping it on, man. So, I got you. So, so this is my thing, though, and I agree. Actually, I will always, whoever the adult is in the situation, that's who I'm looking at because you're the adult, right? You have a more developed brain, if not fully developed brain, than a 15-year-old, right? So that's why I always put it on the adult. However, I do feel like the issue is that we as adults, we don't have emotional control and we expect the children to. We don't know how to de-escalate ourselves. So therefore, we don't, we don't know how to de-escalate a student. I, so I used to work in social services. I worked with all the kids. Everybody said where the quote-unquote bad kids. Every case, every job I had as a caseworker, every job I had, you know, working with youth anywhere, I always got sent the kids that were, uh, that were challenges for other staff every time, right? A, a caseworker would quit. They give me the hardest cases <laughs> from that person, right? But I, and I realized why they kept, I was really good at working with the youth and I realized everybody, how, how everybody else did not know how to deescalate. I've had kids swing on me. I've had kids try to spit on me. I've had all kinds of stuff happen and not a single time have I swung on one, not once. What I was always able to do was deescalate them. A lot of times our teachers don't have the training to actually deescalate a traumatized, highly reactive student. That's and so a lot of times. So when I was working at, um, I was working at Jordan High School in, in Watts, and I had this student. He was seventeen. He was about six foot two, six foot one, something like that. Right, big kid. And he gotten he he was one of the kids who would come into class, wouldn't do nothing. He just sit in the back with his hoodie on. Right. So this particular day, teacher gets gets fed up with the fact that he's not participating, and he sits in the back of the class with the hoodie on, and uh, she starts flipping out on him you need to participate you know we come to this class if you're not gonna participate you need to just get out of my class he's like, all right i'm gonna get out as he leaves he starts pushing over books and everything just knocking stuff over right and and, like, and goes out the door so security gets him i'm walking across and i see them talking to him and i start talking to him he's looking at him get angrier and angrier as the staff is talking to him because they're like basically trying to like i think they think they're helping him but they're really just making him feel worse Right. They're shaming him. So he's going to get um, they're going to call the police on him. They're going to have the police come in and take him and all kinds of crazy shit. Right. So I thought he's the next thing I know, he starts looking like he's about to look up on one of the uh, security. So I step over there. I'm like, OK, look, are you OK? That's my first question to him. Are you OK? No, they're not. Looking. He starts going off. And I'm like, 
And so I, I just basically I said, I, I hear you. This is really tough. This is really tough. And then next thing I know, I'm, as I'm empathizing with him and de him helping him realize what it is he needs, it sounds like you need somebody to listen to you. Yeah, they won't listen to me. You know, that kind of thing, right? So I'm just, like, and I'm just telling him this, and next thing I know, he's calm, he's talking to me. Not nobody, he didn't end up hurting anybody, nothing like that. But if that security had continued to antagonize him, that would have gone a whole nother way. Mm-hmm. That child would have been drug away in handcuffs only because he would not know how to empathize and de-escalate him. First of all, if a kid's in the back of the class with the hoodie, you don't leave them the fuck alone. They're dealing with something. They're trying to hide for a reason. You talk to them later. You do not humiliate them because when their brain goes in a fight or flight mode, it's like a bus is coming at them and they're going to react in fight or flight mode. But see, we don't know when we're triggering students and we don't know how to de-escalate them when they're triggered. Definitely is a talent. For it sure. Definitely is a talent. For sure. I think also a lot of it is this as well. And, and, and I'm speaking in terms of how the adults react to certain situations, particularly black males. Uh, one of the things that we have, I, I heard somebody talk about um, like the social contract that we all have with each other in terms of, you know, social etiquette and things like that. And one of the things with with uh, especially with grown men in particular, we all have like boundaries. Right. So if another man crossed this boundary, we're going to squabble up. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? If another man calls me a bit or if another man does this, then, you know, according to social mm-hmm. etiquette, it's OK for me to take off and, and do the whole thing thing. Right now, the social contract also says that we're not supposed to hit women and kids. Right. But it don't teach us what to do when those two groups of people don't abide by that contract, by that social etiquette, and then step to uh. you and call you out of those and do that like another man. So you think, how do I react now? Because I can't react the way I would normally mm-hmm. react if another man called me this. So what am I supposed to do in this situation? And that your wires get crossed up and a lot of people don't know how to navigate that territory. You know what I'm saying? So I think that there should be more emphasis put on training on, on how to deal with those kinds of situations. Absolutely. You know? I like that, brother. That's big, Mario. That's I like that. Don't they have black men doing I this? I like that, Mario. Because I've, I've never even, like, I can't say I haven't, you know, definitely thought about it. I've never thought about executing that like that. Like you said, we're, we're told, you know, about all these different encounters and situations that we're told what not to do. Or we're told what we're not supposed to do. But we're not necessarily told, like, how like how to prevent that you know what i mean once we get in that situation how to prepare for that right like that that's a that's a straight line of, to failure every single time almost. <laughs> exactly <laughs> you, you're gonna fail every single time almost yeah, you know yeah. a lot of us like i don't know now thank god i don't really have it i don't i haven't had this happen i don't know how i react if you know if if a kid stepped to me like that you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, I, I hope I have the tools and the maturity necessary to to, to de-escalate the situation and, and 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 walk out of it in a positive light. But honestly, man, I've never had it happen, so I don't even know where it's gonna go. I've seen you it happen. Respect people, to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. but you probably respect people. Yeah. You know yeah, what true. I mean? Like you're you're, you're, yeah. not, you're not over there right, triggering. That's, right. That <laughs> came from you know being out this street like i'll just keep it you know being in and out of jail and stuff you start to understand what lines you could cross and what lines i always tell people i always joke and tell people all the time like people in jail and in prison they polite as hell you know what i'm saying because everybody knows if you cross certain lines then you need to understand and 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 you really to deal with what comes with that. You know what I'm saying? We're so with, yeah. people walk a tight line and they're around each other. But on the streets, it's a little different. Like when you're in the square world, it's different. 
because people don't necessarily know not to do certain things, not to say certain things. And then they do that. And then when bad things happen, they looking like, oh, what the hell? Why would you react like that? You know what I'm saying? They don't know how to deal with it. And it's the same, <laughs> and it's the same yeah. thing dealing with, you know, uh, uh, people who who don't abide by the social contract and that social etiquette of not stepping to a grown man in a certain type of way or a child stepping to a grown woman in a certain type of way. We don't know how to react to that. You know what I mean? Right. And, and, and so maybe there needs to be some type of training, you know, in, in that regard on how people can start to learn how to better deal with those situations. Or shit. Hell, and maybe as adult, maybe us as men, we need to start learning how to, to yeah. de-escalate yeah. situations before they cross over into violence. Because as a man, you know, I feel like we're comfortable with violence once it cro- once certain lines get crossed. And maybe we need to get develop crushed. more techniques on how to not take it to that point. You know what I'm saying? And then maybe right. that'll spill over into how to, how to deal with other groups of people. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. I don't know the answers. I'm and and, then, deal, and then it'll help us like deal with our, I think, deal with our young people, too. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Because let's, let's go all the way back to, you know, I think what we what we what we here for, you know, is the, the, the how can we help these young people? Right. So these young people are going to grow up to still be adults one day and all these issues and all these things are still going to follow them. Right. So, like, yes, yeah, it's, it's good to deal with think the adult mind and all that stuff but if we can get it young and teach these young people from a young age how to deal with these situational things um because i think we i think like in, for example in our academy we 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 okay Mario. so we don't address it i think like verbatim but we try to like teach around like with respect i think somebody just talked about you know that's respect and respecting people and doing this and doing that so we teach respect and we teach you know love and all of this good stuff and you know, one thing I like about how we do it is that we we don't we stop right there on the spot. Like we we don't we don't let no teaching moment pass us by. Like if there's something that was a lesson to be learned that can carry over into everyday life, like we wanna we wanna highlight that and we wanna teach that right away. So with respect or with whatever it is in regards to how to deal with certain situations. Like if I, if I see a kid at my practice deal with a situation in a way that can that the way that he or she dealt with that in that moment can help them become better. I'm gonna highlight that. I'm gonna tell Dev, hey, practice whole room. We need we need to highlight that so everybody can see what just happened because they're going to be faced with that situation at some point in time, and they need to know what to do based off the experience that they just saw from their from their peer, right? So when we when we when we try to you know teach from our young people, you know that's cool, and 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 I think we're we're taking a good approach on trying to do that. But then I'm gonna go back to Mario point, and you know what about those kids who that are in the situation that has that trauma that that hasn't been addressed yet. And they're just like in that situation, in that moment where someone approaches them or we didn't get a chance to teach them yet. You know, I think that's where the biggest issue come in at because we, 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 that trauma that, or that, that trauma that we spoke about earlier, Vita, right? That stuff is real. You know what I mean? So when a kid got trauma on his mind or any person in general, period, is like dealing with something from the past Ooh, that, that's depending on what that situation is or what that trigger is in that moment, Man, it, it can exactly. go left or right. It can go left or right. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and, and the thing about the thing about traumatized people, adult or child, is that they're operating in survival yes. mode all yes. the time. So the whole the, their entire day is consumed with how do I keep myself the safest possible and how do I make sure all my needs get met because nobody else is going to make sure mm-hmm. they get met. So when you and when you operate that way. Um, it kind of put, it puts you in defense mode right. all the time. Right. You're always ready to right. be attacked. And even in the other thing is, if you've experienced a lot of trauma, your brain, the amygdala in your brain, which starts off your brain scare response system, right? That starts going off, even if you're not in danger, because it's just, you're triggered. 
So you think, so what we think we're dealing with is the person who we think this kid is just mad because, you know, this kid took something from them. But that has nothing to do with that. It's the fact that they're reliving a trauma associated with something being taken from them. And we don't realize that's what we're looking at. We think it's just about, why are you so, it's just a basketball. Why mm-hmm. do you care? Mm-hmm. It's about the basketball. <laughs> that basketball is small, small fry <laughs> compared to what the big picture is. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I always just feel like if we're going to talk about um, the, the behaviors, we have to talk about the trauma. We have to talk about what we're looking at. We can't just sit up here and say, oh, this child has bad behavior or this or any of that. We have to look at what's happening underneath. And with a lot of black children, we know just by being black. I was just, <laughs> I mean, I was so just about to say You've that. experienced a certain level of was, trauma. Or in top, on top of that, <laughs> yeah. even if you didn't experience it, mm-hmm. you're being raised yeah. by I people. I mean, for us did. to see police. I was just about to say police, that. Police at a young age. I'm marking definitely right. We've been stopped many times. You know, we don't see the, we, we don't see the police as, as a helping hand. <laughs> We immediately tighten up and we as, we expect to be stopped, expect Pulled to over. be messed with because yeah. we, we don't we don't look at we don't look at them as protection. They're, I'm a square. Mm-hmm. I'm square as fuck. Right. <laughs> I, I used to get stopped by the police. My first day of high school, Why my backpack got searched. I hated. I mean, and that was one of the quote unquote. I hate this term, but I hate that was what people would have called the good kids. Right. I was walking. We were walking from USC to our high school and the cops would stop us and search us. Sometimes they try to tell us we were truant, even though we, we had a complete, we were in a program where we could walk from USC. We were supposed to go from USC to our high school, but that we were supposed to get a bus. We didn't get buses sometimes. So we had to walk and the cops would pull us over or stop us. And we, like I said, we were squares. So even if you weren't a kid, so they try, they try to say, well, they're just getting all the, you know, the, the bad kids that are causing a problem. They're getting everybody. And my brother used to get, they used to pick up my brother and make him late for school. Pick, no, seriously, they pick up, drive him around. Until he was late. Oh, Just to man, get him in trouble. Cold. You know, that trauma is real, though. Because, and when, what you guys think about this, I mean, because I think, you know, just, you know, being black, you know, and just for minorities, period, black and brown, I think the we're still dealing with the trauma of the world itself, with the trauma of society, you know, which, which makes a lot of the normal day-to-day stuff, you know, that, that, that we're a part of, it just, it, it makes it hard, right? Because, like, you you always second guessing yourself or second guessing something because of what society says a young black boy is supposed to, or a young black boy is. You know, society says, you know, a, a young black boy can't go into the store and buy Skittles. Society says that. So for a young black boy, like that's trauma in itself. Like to, your name doesn't have to be Trayvon for you to go into a store and buy some Skittles and a Snapple for you to feel like you're about to lose your life. Like that's trauma. That's trauma that we all are dealing with to this day. So with our young people, they, they, they see the news. They see what's on TV. They see they see how they're viewed, you know, so, so they go around wearing, you know, not on purpose, but they go around wearing what society has said about them. And that and that's the problem. You know what I mean? And, and, and still to this day with myself, Devin talked about the police and, and I'll be real quick on this because this can take another whole hour and take our whole conversation somewhere else. Right. But but I, I want to say this to say this, like how real trauma is and why we need to address trauma with our young people in order for us to see success, for order, in order for us to see results 
um, in order for us to build these relationships and have them trust us, we need to we need to address the real issue, which is the trauma that they're dealing with. I right now I've been working in Watts for the last 15 years. I grew up in Compton. Watts is my second home. I've been working with, like Devin said, from growing up, I've been pulled over by police officers. I've been held at gunpoint on numerous occasions. I've been embarrassed. I've been stripped to my socks on the middle of the road. Like, I I, I just been through it, you know, when, when it comes down to the police. Ask me, do I have a record? No. Have I been arrested in jail? No. I'm as square as it come when it comes to that. But that don't stop the police from doing what they do to me. But what happened is the trauma I'm talking about is that, I spent my whole adolescent and almost my, my, my young adult years having this viewpoint of the police and being traumatized by the police. Now I come to a point in my life now to where I, I want to see change. Like my life, man, is all about I want to see change. I'm, I'm Me and Dev, Devin can tell you right now, like I'm really big on just helping people. I feel like my purpose on life has been put here to help and serve people. Like I feel like that's what I'm here for. So my community is where it starts at. And, and, and one thing that I want to see, because I know some good officers from programs that I'm dealing with. I know some good people. Right. So I want to see change. I want to see the community treat the. I want to see the police treat the community different. I want to see the community treat the police different based on how they've been treated. I want to see this community relations. Right. I I really want to see that. So I work with a lot of police officers now um, when it comes to the sake of our young people, building programs, you know, inviting them over and to to come be a part of our program so they can see our our, our, not our program. You better than me. I don't fuck with cops at all. Not even a little bit. Yeah, damn, mm. that's wild, man. I think uh, I think what you it's said like is, is huge too, because that's a that at a certain point, you know, that's gonna have to be a part of the equation. And I think, like you said, I think the biggest thing is is having them come without that uniform on or without the gun and badge and just interact with people as a regular person. You know what I'm saying? Hell, I wouldn't even be mad if no one knew who th- that it was a police officer in a certain context. You know what I'm saying? Just come mingle with people just on as a regular person without that that line that because once you let once you tell them I'm a police officer, it's going to automatically be a line that goes up. You know what I'm saying? Even with me, because of interactions that I've had with them, if I know it's a cop, my communication is, is going to be very minimal. You know, it's still to this day. It's hard to to to. Um, to do that you know what i'm saying so i think it's key it's gonna have to happen at at, at 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 a certain point you're gonna have to figure out ways to have positive interactions with the with the with the good officers in your communities and things like that so i think that's one step in the right direction man if you're gonna do it you know you gotta do it like that i guess it's gonna have to be baby steps but it needs to be done that's for sure I, I feel like, so I don't fuck with cops, so whatever, but <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, I, the entire institution of it, I find to be pretty disgusting. But I do agree um, with the approach as far as having them come without the badge and just being people. Because um, like you said, like Mario said, at the end of the day, it's going to have to happen. Like we, we both exist here. Right. Much, do about that. <laughs> so as much as I, I, I don't fuck with them, I know the reality. <laughs> right. But and at the same time, another thing I was thinking about is how look at this dope stuff that you two are doing. Um, and other, um, I looked at your site. You have at least two oh, yes, or three yeah, other yeah, black yeah, men working yeah, with you. I want to say, right? I'm yes. too consistent, but we have uh, quite a few that come on an inconsistent, consistent basis, right? Like two out of four, you know, four four weeks or two two out of four every month. So, but we have two consistent young men that are with us. Yeah. So that's so the fact that there are black men doing this great work, and I'm sure you also have partnered with and worked with other black men, but yet that's not the conversation 
that we see going forward about black men. The conversation that we're seeing going forward is that they're the enemies of other black people in the community. And I'm curious to know what, how you guys as black men who are doing such dope work and doing great work um, and doing it from a, a perspective that even um, non-black men don't, you know, ha- don't have. Right. Because um, I'll tell you the truth. A lot. And I'm not putting down black women because, you know, I'm a black woman, but a lot of black women also fight hard for the emotionally violent approach to working with children. And so I get worried when we see these images of black men being the the abusers. And as black men who are doing such dope work, how do you guys feel about that? How do you feel about these this messaging that's been going out about black men while you're sitting up here doing all this fucking work and there ain't no news cameras, you know, constantly well, covering I mean, you? I'm gonna speak to one thing. I'm gonna speak to something first. Remember, negativity will always capture the eyes of people first and foremost. So, you know, it, if if they feel they can sell if it, if it feels it fits their agenda, they're going to put it. Um, we think it's disgusting. Um, but we also know that there are a lot of great black men and black women out there. that handle the responsibilities that treat each other with respect. And all we're going to do is continue to set the example. Um, you know, we would love for, for it to be more publicity around the positive things that we're doing. Again, us and any other groups. And, you know, we would love for it to be more publicized. But it's not. And we understand that. All we can do is keep sharing our message, using our platform to continue to get that message out and continue to, again, you know, lead by example. We've seen in our three years how many groups have popped up, how many people have actually reached out to us and how many people that we've actually impacted, whether it be children or grown men who said that they, they cannot wait to, for these Monday nights, that these kids bring life to them. Um, you know, it, it, you know that working with these kids has helped them you know, have better relations with either their own kids, their nephew, nieces and nephews, or just, you know, their significant other. Um, so, you know, again, you know, these situations, they're disgusting. Um, I think that a lot of that is, you know, for these situations that do happen, you know, they're obviously constructed just based off, you know, the lack of knowledge, right? The lack of knowledge they have of, of self. I believe that's a big thing. When we have people beating on each other, you don't know who you are. You know, you haven't taken the time to really understand who you are. And I think that alone, you know, enables you to to become destructive to your own people. Um, and I think that's the best. That's a very important thing, man. Understanding who you are, and a lot of these men and women out here are lost. That's why you can do these type of things to each other. But how do you counter the impact that the negative has on young black people and how they view themselves and you know each other as black boys and girls? In regard to the media. Um, or lack of media representation of black men doing the kind of work that you're doing, and we're seeing a lot of negative uh, images of black men, how, how do you think that impacts how young black people see themselves and how young black boys and girls feel about each other? Because, yeah, you're right. Like, you know, we, we can't just focus. We, we have to do our part and use the platforms that we have. And at the same time, we're still having to mitigate the damage that's being done by me seeing constantly being, me, me as, you know, as a girl being constantly told that the, my enemy is black men right that they're my abuser or black boys seeing that hey i'm an abuser i'm negative i'm bad inherently bad so and you even hear kids that call themselves bad so how do we mitigate that how do we mitigate that damage while trying to you know teach them how to de-escalate themselves and how you know social emotional learning and all these wonderful things but at the same time they're still being um inundated with you know this these images that teach them the opposite of who they are um, I, I think I think one thing that's that's big for me um, when it, when it comes down to I guess teaching our young men and women 
um, how to coexist, I guess, with themselves, you know, in, in a crazy world is, is, is to continue to provide opportunities where they can not only just be around each other, but I, but I think engage in not just activities, but in, engage in ways to really get to learn and, and, and value each other. I think that the value that we have for ourselves or that we have for each other or that we have for people that look like us, I think we, we allow the media to paint that picture and then we use the picture that the media is playing to put our value on. Like, like it, all, it always strikes me, like we heard this before, like when I see a, like when, when a black male sees another black male, he automatically thinks like that it's an enemy. You know, like I, I hate that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I like it when I see another black male, I like to speak to him. Like, what's up, brother? How you doing, man? Because I value that man. Like, I, I value him because he's a black man. You know, and, and I think that for our young people, we don't, they don't, you're not blaming them, but they've never been taught to value each other. They've never been taught to value themselves, you know, in the, in the, in the overall sense to where to carry over into relationships and how they look at each other and how they look at their fellow, you know, black, you know, um, sisters and brothers, you know. So I, I would just go ahead, Bia. So so essentially you're saying you counter it. You basically like you can't change the media, but you can change the way that we're teaching them how to interact with each other. Because the reality because I don't think that's a good point, because if I know a lot of black um, males that are you know doing wonderful things that are supporting me or helping me the images that I'm seeing online or online or in media aren't going to have the same effect and it, and it goes back to what you were saying which you guys were talking about earlier about um, relationships with youth and the importance of that that's part of it right not just help them heal from trauma but also yeah, to keep things from traumatizing right. them right, <laughs> right? Right. So I think, yes, I think that's that's really a dope approach. You know, let's change the way that we're teaching them to interact with each other. I always say, you know, despite all the things that I've been through, um, the abuse that I've been through, the thing that kept me from hating men altogether was because I had other men in my life that made me feel safe. When I was a youth in high school, I was in an organization and um, the head of the or the couple of the heads of the organization were all men, um, black and Latino. Um, and all of them made me feel safe. Every time they would take me home and I would feel safe. Like I, and it, they looked out for me. They made sure some, some days I didn't have food and they made sure I ate. Like, you know, just little things like that. And we don't, we underestimate the role that we can play in a child's life. Not just, you know, in how they feel about themselves, but how they see the world around them. Yeah, I agree. Go ahead, Dad. Yeah, real talk. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, last thing I wanted to ask real quick is, where you see yourselves taking the program in the next couple of years? Like, do you have uh, um, some goals about how you want to expand it and things you aren't doing now that you hope to be getting started? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we we want to. Um, so right now, Devin and I are in the process of writing a having a strategic plan done for our foundation, just so we can think about this um, foundation within the next three to five years. Like we have goals that we want to accomplish, you know, within the next three to five years. And we have a plan in place on how we want to get there. But one of the things that we, in a nutshell, what I think what we're really, um, what our, our, our focus is, we've, we've seen how sports is that hook to bring kids in, to teach all these other things. We, we've got a group of kids that we meet with that love basketball, some that don't really care for basketball, but they're loving the sport and they're, and they're just loving everything that the program brings, right? But what about the kid who doesn't like basketball? You know, what about the kid who likes um, digital or media or graphic design? Or what about the kid that likes the Internet? Or what about the kid that likes music? What about the kid? So our goal is we want to tap into all these different avenues and we want to reach them kids there. 
So we want to start just like we got our Monday Academy, um, where we bring the kids in together over the roof of, I mean, on, under one roof, under the game of basketball. We want to do the same thing and, 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 and make this program to be the same way. Maybe we want to bring them in in the state of a computer room. And those that like computers, we want to bring them in and we want to put this program into a computer program. Maybe one of the girls and the boys that like to dance. Maybe we want to have a dance as the hook. No, so we're looking at different ways to meet the kids by hooking them in and then giving them the same tools. So whether that's through dance, uh, computers, uh, music, um, just the, the whole child, sports. If it's just, if it's football, if it's tennis, you know, if it's swimming, like whatever it is, we're going to bring the kids in, but we're going to teach what we teach, but we're going to meet them where they at. How do you guys see, um, or do you guys even see technology and or newer technology playing a role in how you guys um, work? Because I'm asking that because you know with COVID and everything, a lot of organizations and people had to now force themselves to <laughs> learn other ways of meeting, other ways of working with people or creating activities. Um, do you guys see yourselves being able to, are, are you, oh, I'm sorry, do you have a plan to possibly maybe include more digital work? To, to, to your, I'm sorry, more digital stuff into your work or? Yeah, for sure. So so really like COVID came and, and it, it threw us, a, threw, I think, through the whole world a curveball. We, we had just had like maybe our biggest Monday night academy before COVID hit. Um, we had Jennifer Lewis come down. Um, the actress Jennifer Lewis, she came down, spoke to the kids. We had a big night. It was a lot of momentum going on um, in that space. And uh, boom, COVID hit. And then we couldn't meet nowhere, no more. So that next Monday we went to Zoom and we, we wanted to keep our kids engaged because we wanted to build up off that momentum. So like at that point, we didn't know how we were going to sustain. But now we, we've actually developed our program to where it works through Zoom. Right. But but what we what we also mm-hmm. notice is like you still need that engagement. You still need that human interaction. And we, we can't wait for that to happen. Right. But when we get back <laughs> to human interaction, what we've learned and what we're able to do through Zoom or through technology, we want to still add that to our program now. So like a lot of our tutoring academic success has come from through the form of virtual tutors through Zoom. A lot of kids were not making tutoring sessions because they didn't have a ride. They got there late. They couldn't get out. We can just put that on Zoom now. We can have our tutor meet you on Zoom. We can have a, so it's a lot of things that we can do now that probably wasn't the best in human interaction that we can move to Zoom. But then we move the most important stuff back to human interaction when we're able to, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's dope. Yeah. yeah that so makes a lot pandemic. Of sense. It's actually like it was a double edged yeah. sword. Yeah. He, he kind of put us in a situation and we just was like, all right, well, Zoom, all right, we'll, we'll make this work. <laughs> we'll make it work. And we did. It, it, yeah. for, it forced us. It forced us and to think about everybody taking yeah. that, like, you know, this might not be bad exactly. to keep doing this. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Exactly. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I mean, you know how many more meetings you can schedule and stuff like that now, just as an adult? Like, I don't have to drive an hour to meet with you over there. We can just log on and meet and I can right. see you. You know, so yeah, we yeah, you you better mm-hmm. yo you get left behind yeah. right about now. <laughs> well, I think it's really dope that you guys know how to pivot to keep make sure that you know you're reaching your goals of reaching the youth, and you know a lot of organizations aren't always able to do that. They just kind they kind of like fall apart. Um, they don't think of how can we transition to something else. So I think it's really dope that you guys know how to pivot and um, go with what's necessary, which also I'm sure you guys are able to do with the youth and how you work with the youth. Because you can't just have this, you know, real strict way of working with people because mm-hmm. people aren't robots. Right. Um, so learning to be flexible is important. Sounds like you guys are able to do that. We, we've been we've been blessed. We've been in a, we've been in a pretty, um, I think, blessed situation. We, we, we I think what we're doing you know, for one, it's just it's just authentic and it's passionate. We have a big passion for it, and I think that people are seeing what we're doing and 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 jumping on the train because it, it's 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 bringing good results. You know, what good results to us is is just giving us better better people in our world. 
you know, so we've drawn the interest of different people that want to work with us and want to do stuff with us. And, you know, we're just excited. We're thrilled. I mean, Devin and I, like I said, when, when, when we first started this, we were sitting at lunch and we just wanted to do something because somebody did something for us when we were younger that got us to where we are, you know, and who, who would have ever thought that it was going to, you know, translate into something that's that's impactful to kids so many. And now we're looking like we can probably impact all parts of Los Angeles and all over with just what we want to do, you know, by allowing other people to be a part of our of our team and helping other kids. So, I mean, I'm just thrilled about where God has taken me, where God has taken Devin, where God has taken us collectively. Um, and and for thrilled for individuals like like you, like you, Vita, like, like you, Mario, like you, T, who understand and appreciate how important this stuff is. And to sit back and we're talking about it and not just talking about it, but talking about ways we can get better and thinking about things that we haven't even thought about that we can get better and improve on. Because at the end of the day, it's only going to shape our future to be better. These kids are going to be taking care of us at some point in time, right? <laughs> so I, I want to make sure that I'm doing everything in my possibility um, to make sure that I'm instilling the right values in these young people because they they mm-hmm. are future. And I'm going to be old one day. And I want to make sure that these young people that I at least worked with, you know, that can eventually have a domino effect and carry on to other people, our world going to be in good hands. So I'm just thankful for the opportunity to be in this position. Yes, and I'm thankful for you guys for allowing us to just come yeah, on here and speak. Absolutely. Up. I appreciate you guys, man. This is, this has been an amazing um, situation for us. So thank you. Conversation. Yeah, yeah for sure. But it's, 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 it's really a breath of fresh air, man, to, to hear, you know, brothers out here doing their best to make it happen despite, you know, your past and your background, wherever you came from, man, we out here just trying to do it better than we had it done to us, man. So that's, a, that's always a great thing. I think it's beautiful. I appreciate you both um, very much for creating the organization, but also how you think and your approach. That is so important. And I admire you guys for that. I'm also very biased um, in that I love my people from South Central Wise yes. Company, Inglewood. Yes. So <laughs> that also as the cherry on top. Oh, I see that. I see um, you, Vita. <laughs> I see you. <laughs> she always want to lead the valley out. I see you, dog. Oh, that's what she's doing. Because <laughs> I'm, <about> <laughs> I'm about to say, man, T from New York, man. How you, you know, I know, you know, we can't leave T out, but then she left Mario out right here yeah, in the valley, yeah, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you know what San Gabriel Valley and San Fernando Valley. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> I like real LA. You good with us, brother? Don't worry about yeah, it, man. man. You good with us? Yeah, right. good well, luck, I appreciate Mario. it. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to be loved. <laughs> no, man. Man. Yeah, she did. Yeah. She really did. That's funny. Um, I'm very yeah. consistent. Yeah. No, but it's all love. You guys know, know that. But she don't. She don't want to tell y'all. She spent a lot of time in my section. She don't want to tell y'all that. Oh, though. Yeah. We, we, we're right. not going. She be hanging out. <laughs> First of all, I wouldn't say a lot of time. I worked uh, around there. Yes, for yeah. a few years. It was great. But um, no, but absolutely, I do admire you guys for the work that you're doing, and I think this is important to always uplift the dope things that we're doing in our communities because people are always saying, ain't nobody doing nothing. People are always doing something. People say, what about black on black crime? Y'all got a whole program trying to prevent kids Mm -hmm. from killing each other. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So preventing kids from being escalated all the time. Preventing kids from hurting themselves and hurting, you know, like you have a whole program doing that. That's why we need to have highlight the work that you guys are doing. I appreciate you guys very much. Thank you. And before we go, I'm going to ask you guys both the question, what song would you say has been your anthem or your inspiration 
in this work. You know what? Uh, I'm going to be honest, man. They just made something about. over the head. But right now, come on, mine is honestly Nipsey Hustle, Hustle, and Motivate. So, hey, you know. talking to the right hey, person. I, that, that's a whole lot of people. That's an easy <laughs> answer. Right? Yeah. yeah. Right. I'm going I'm to um, go back. I'm going to go way before Nipsey. Um, even though, you know, Nipsey, I mean, rest in peace, Nipsey Hustle. We already know the impact that he has on us all, right? Being from L.A. and But... But I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go off the rip real quick, and I'm gonna go a song by Michael Jackson. Um, and I'm gonna go "Man in the Mirror." Okay. I'm gonna go mm. "Man in the Mirror" um, because That's at the end of the day, thing. you know, when you look at the lyrics of that song, and you think about, you know, the man in the mirror, talk about change. You know, it, it starts with yourself. You know, it starts with me. You know, whatever I, it is that I want, I have to fix myself in order for me to fix someone else. You know, so spending so much time looking at the man in the mirror, um, and, and to getting other people, like young people to look at themselves as that man in the mirror and, and, and really appreciate and value themselves and, you know, become the best version of themselves. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go Michael Jackson, okay. man in the mirror for people to become the best version of themselves. That's not a bad answer at all. Sure. Man, great answers, actually. Hustle and Motivate, Man in the Mirror. Those are great songs. And I want people to think about everything, everything that they've talked about. Look up other approaches of working with young people. Look at ways to utilize sports or art or music as a way to connect with young people like these wonderful young men, Mark and Devin, have done. So I want to encourage all of you guys listening. Thank you again for joining us here on Champagne Sharks. Um, of course, special shout out to Kenny, even though he's not with us this time. And uh, thank you, uh, T and Mario, Absolutely. for also joining us. Yeah, uh, man. Thanks for coming on. Really enjoyed it. All right. So thank you guys so much. And make sure that you tune in for another episode of Champagne Sharks. God bless you guys, man. Keep up the amazing work. You too. Champagne shorts. Peace. <laughs> Later. Later.